There's something a little bit creepy about the idea of a fairy sneaking into your bedroom at night and taking away one of your shed teeth. But that is precisely what people believe as part of the tooth fairy myth. So let's go and meet the tooth fairy and find out a little bit more about the folklore of teeth in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. We are continuing with Folklore of Health and Medicine this month, and I did think that it would be quite an interesting thing to do if we actually had a look at teeth and dentistry and the tooth fairy as well this week because they are they are part of health and medicine even though health usually people take that to mean inside the body but let's be honest teeth are inside the body and teeth are an important part of the body because we do use them to eat we use them in self-defense if we need to and they can often take part in the easiest facial expression to spot which is the smile. Now I should point out that the development of dentistry as a sophisticated practice is relatively recent compared to other forms of surgery and the term dentist only actually appeared in the mid 18th century. But as we are doing all things health and wellness and medicine and whatnot this month I thought it was a good idea to have a look at teeth. So we're going to be having a look at some remedies for toothache which I highly recommend that you don't try at home and we will also be meeting the tooth fairy as well because she is quite an important part of this particular topic. So with no further ado let's get on with this week's episode. If we were to travel back to the 18th century we would find that there wasn't really such a thing as the dentist. And originally it was often actually barbers who would perform the duties of pulling teeth out. And in the 18th century, surgeons actually stopped pulling out teeth in case they injured their wrist. Because if you think about it, the amount of force that you're going to need to exert on someone to haul a tooth out of their jaw, that's going to put quite a lot of strain on you. So they then decided to leave the job to tooth pullers. Some people might even pull out their own teeth if they were rotten or otherwise broken. And obviously some people would also pray to Saint Apollonia, who was a 3rd century Christian martyr who had all of her teeth pulled out before death. And she's now the patron saint of dentists and sufferers of toothache. This does also bring a whole new meaning to Edgar Allan Poe's 1835 short story, Berenice. And if you haven't read it, I will actually include a link to a version of it in the show notes below. Now, teeth also became a way for people to read what you were like. So the mercury-based treatment for syphilis damaged the teeth. So people could then see you as being a particular way if you had that problem. And the long discredited practice of physiognomy actually equated sharp teeth with lasciviousness, big teeth with vanity and long teeth with gluttony. And before modern dentistry came along, people believed that a worm inside the tooth caused toothache. And one of the treatments for this involved henbane, And according to staff at the Annick Poison Garden, that's because henbane seed heads look like a jawbone. So what they would do is they would burn a mixture of frankincense, henbane and onion seeds, and then they would funnel the smoke towards the affected tooth. And then apparently this would make the worm wriggle out of the tooth and then the pain would ease. Please do not try this at home. See dentist instead. 
Now, other cures for toothache include putting on your right stocking and shoe before the left. I'm not 100% sure how that's supposed to help, but there you go. Cutting your nails on a Friday and spitting into the mouth of a live snake. I mean, no, I'm not up for any of them, thanks. And Sinead Spearing also notes prescriptions to chew pepper, to boil henbane root in wine or vinegar and then chew it, or to chew rosemary if you had a hole in your tooth. Of those three, in Anglo-Saxon times, pepper would have been incredibly expensive, so it probably wouldn't have been available to most people. Henbane root, again, incredibly toxic, so no. But the one that possibly might have made a difference is rosemary, because rosemary oil can be used now in preparations for toothache and so on. But again, please don't just start applying things willy-nilly. Actually consult someone if you have got a problem. Now, we are going to get on about the tooth fairy because, you know, let's be honest, this is like she's the main star of this week's show. And if you think about it, the loss of your first tooth is a pretty important event in your life. And providing you carefully place the tooth under your pillow and leave it for the tooth fairy, it can potentially also be your first experience of earning money. But who is a tooth fairy and where did you come from? Well, compared with Santa and the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy actually appears to be a relatively recent addition to the childhood canon, and oral references to her emerge at the turn of the 20th century. But she doesn't actually make her first appearance in print until 1927 in The Tooth Fairy Three-Act Playlet for Children by Esther Watkins Arnold. Now, the contemporary Tooth Fairy custom sees children leave their baby teeth under their pillow for collection in exchange for money. I have come across some people in the past who have told me they never put their teeth under the pillow and they just kept them. What they were going to do with them, I've never been able to find out. So if that's you, please do let me know. And again, there's no shade, just genuine curiosity. Other children will place notes alongside their tooth, actually asking for a new one. And in some places, children believe the tooth fairy will only come if they've been good. And she won't come at all if they try to stay awake to see her. Now, on a slight side note, I remember losing one of my baby teeth. I can't remember where I was on holiday. It was either Mallorca or Ibiza as a child. And I was fascinated by the fact that when I left a tooth under my pillow, I had some pesetas there the next day. And I was amazed that the tooth fairy could find me in Spain and use the local currency so I could actually use it in the area where I was. But I suppose this just goes to show what you will believe as a child. Now, Rosemary Wells actually notes that the tooth fairy in her recognisable form is largely missing from European folklore, and Wells even called her America's only fairy. But while references to the tooth fairy are, to be fair, largely absent until the early 1950s in Britain, Tad Taleha actually points to the Venetian witch, Marantega, as an early European version. And Marantega also appears in local folklore as a St Nicholas-type figure, but she's more often known for exchanging teeth placed under the pillow for coins, which obviously is the concept that we would recognise for the tooth fairy. Now, in late 19th century France, there are accounts that do exist of children leaving their teeth under their pillow, and the Virgin Mary actually makes the exchange for money or toys. And Taleha argues that the exchange of teeth for money is the first step towards educating children about the value and power of money. And it must be working because according to Chris Taylor, the Visa credit card company actually ran a survey in 2013 and found that the national average had risen 23% to $3.70 per tooth. 
and in Spain and Mexico, people believed El Raton de los Dientes, or the tooth mouse, collected teeth, and he actually left a gift for children rather than money. And the money is the thing that seems to be the important part about the tooth fairy, although Rosemary Wells does disagree about the link between the tooth fairy and a child's education about capitalism. And she points out that children do go through a range of transitional phases before they become adults, and losing the baby teeth is usually the first of these. And given it's sometimes accompanied by pain and bleeding, it can be quite scary. And even when it's not, it's actually quite incredibly disconcerting to start shedding teeth. So who better to make the process less traumatic and even profitable than the tooth fairy? Because this is the weird thing about teeth compared to other body parts. With the exception of things like hair and skin, which are renewable, teeth are really the only thing that you actually lose. And I know obviously you in theory only lose the baby teeth, but it's just still the concept of something shouldn't be leaving your, your body that seems relatively permanent. Now, Cindy Dell Clark calls the tooth fairy a mediating figure because she helps the child to process this loss of their tooth. So the tooth fairy allows the tooth to be purposefully put to rest. And this kind of makes the tooth fairy a bit of a gothic figure and she plays an almost funereal role in the disposal of the lost tooth. And it's hardly surprising. The loss of the baby teeth marks the death of childhood and the onset of puberty. And the tooth fairy essentially stands guard at the boundary between these developmental stages. But why does she want teeth in the first place? Well, according to the website toothfairy.org, the tooth fairy actually thought that losing baby teeth was quite exciting. And losing your first tooth was a sign that you were on the path to being a grown-up. So the tooth fairy wanted to hold a lost tooth and experience some of that excitement for herself. So what did children actually do before the tooth fairy came along? Well, dentistry, as we know, is a relatively new form of medicine. But despite the primitive and often barbaric treatments available for pre-20th century adults, children still lost their baby teeth as they do now. So what did people do with them? Well, discarded teeth were often disposed of by casting them into flames. And Bird Granger explains that teeth were often thrown into a fire. And in 1870, Swedish children did so as a form of offering. And Theodore Zielkowski explains that there was a folkloric belief that teeth should be salted and burned so that witches couldn't use them in their rituals. Wells even points out that all cultures have some kind of law surrounding the disposal of baby teeth and the methods of disposal all seem to boil down to nine essential characteristics. A baby tooth could be thrown at the sun or into the fire. It could be thrown between the legs or onto a roof. It could be offered to an animal by leaving it in a mouse hole. It could be buried, hidden, pushed into a tree or swallowed. And leaving the tooth for mice and rats is actually particularly common. And anthropologists believe that this particular sacrifice was essentially intended to help the child's adult teeth become strong and sturdy, just like the teeth of rodents themselves. And Leo Kanna describes a Balkan ritual that involves the burying of the first lost tooth within a tree. If it was specifically conducted by an old woman, and then she blocked the hole where the tooth was with a peg, then the child would never suffer from toothache. Now what about adult teeth? Well, the tooth fairy has never taken care of lost adult teeth and that task falls to the adult in question. And Granger makes the point that adults needed to have their full set of teeth on judgment day. So you didn't need to have them in your jaw, but you just needed to have them handy, which gives a really strange mental image of people essentially having like a bag of their teeth with them. But if you didn't store all of your adult teeth while you were alive, then you would have to look for them after death. 
Now, there was a loophole, because there always is in these things, and in Sheffield, in around 1895, you could dispose of your shed adult teeth by throwing them into the fire, but as long as you said, good tooth, bad tooth, pray God send me a good tooth, then you didn't need to worry about looking for them on Judgment Day. So that kind of acted as a a bit of a catch-all, so that you, you basically had the teeth that were in your head and anything else in theory. Now, that said, adult teeth were also collected for far more nefarious purposes and it even led to the phenomenon of so-called Waterloo teeth. And there is evidence before the Battle of Waterloo in 1815 that dentists were advertising for human teeth, often for use in dentures. And a cartoon from 1787 by Thomas Rawlinson actually depicted dentists pulling the teeth of the poor to use in the mouths of their wealthy patients. I'm sure we can all agree how abhorrent that would be. But teeth were also supplied by grave robbers because they would take the attitude, well, they don't need them. But following Waterloo, looters actually pulled teeth from dead soldiers for use in dentures. And it's really unlikely that people knew where their teeth were coming from. But thankfully, the practice did decline when dentists began using porcelain to form false teeth. So you do have this mental image of these kind of mismatched sort of sets of dentures, apparently front teeth, as you can imagine, actually were much easier to remove. How they did so without leaving a mark on the teeth, again, I haven't been able to find out, but there you go. So obviously once people started using porcelain and then when vulcanised rubber came along to make the top parts of the dentures, then people moved away from using real teeth and started using fake ones instead. And likewise, you may have heard the myth that George Washington, first president of the USA, had wooden teeth, and they weren't. Apparently his dentures actually contained a combination of human teeth and animal teeth. Someone did say some of the teeth come from a hippopotamus, which is just bizarre. But it's the human teeth that are the problematic ones here, because he paid nine of his slaves for teeth in 1784. And while there's no direct record of what happened to those teeth, there's a very good chance that they ended up in his dentures. And I'm sure you can agree with me that that is problematic on pretty much every level. Now, as a result, the gift shops around his plantation did stop selling souvenirs featuring images of his dentures, considering where the contents of those dentures came from. Now, obviously, all of this talk of teeth extraction, both from the living and the dead, is far removed from the tooth fairy. But commentators have noted that the growth and popularity of the tooth fairy actually coincided with the success of Disney and his cinematic fairies. So far removed from the vicious or mysterious fairies of folklore, which we have occasionally met on this podcast, the tooth fairy leaves more than she takes. But whatever the reason that people like her, children take comfort in losing their teeth because of the promise of impending adulthood, and the accompanying monetary reward. Now, National Tooth Fairy Day is usually celebrated on February 28th or August the 22nd, so that is next week. But don't forget, there is also a False Teeth Day on the 9th of March as well. So that is it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, the, the whole teeth pulling thing, a little bit squeamish, not going to lie. Not a big fan of anything to do with teeth. And up here in Newcastle, just down the road in County Durham, we've got Beamish, the Open Air Museum. And it's all designed like this is what the area looked like in 1913. And they've got a dentist. And I remember going in and just seeing like all the tools. And it's like, oh my God, this looks like a scene from a Bond film where someone wants information out of them. And yeah, the whole kind of like foot-operated drill and everything. Yeah, no, not for me, thanks. So where it is just worth bearing in mind that obviously the Tooth Fairy does occupy a much more modern role in folklore and it's quite cool to see how easily something like this basically takes on a life of their own essentially 
So I hope you enjoyed that. Next week, we're going to be having a look at the folklore around the plague. Now, this is going to be both of the major epidemics, so like the Black Death epidemic in the 14th century and then the Great Plague in the 17th century. So we're all going to be having a look at myths that have arisen around both of them. And obviously there's been outbreaks in between those two big ones, so obviously some of the things will come from those. And then I'm still not sure about the final episode of August because it's going to be either the Doctrine of Signatures or folklore and superstitions around sleep. So far, we've got level pagan votes. So if you've got a strong preference, either way, please do let me know. Either if you if you're listening to this on YouTube, if you drop me a comment below, and if you're listening on a podcast app, if you just drop me a message on Instagram or Twitter or something, all the links are below, and let me know which one you would rather have. And I want to make sure that I provide content that people are looking for. There is a good possibility that whichever one I don't do, I will just do in the future anyway. But it's just to help me get this sorted for now. So without any further ado, I will speak to you very, very soon and I hope we have a marvellous week ahead. So that's it from me. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com. And that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio.